0: Good afternoon, my name is Michael Apple. With me in studio, it's a great pleasure to have Stafford Macy. Nice to be here, thank you for having me. Thank you. Mm. I'm, I must admit, I have never come across you in my professional career as okay. a journalist. Lucky I was looking at corruption and fraud, so I'm very glad we've never actually <laughs> met. But I must say, when I googled a, an image of you, yeah. I thought, hold on, mm-hmm. I know this guy. Oh, no. I have seen him Cell block wing
1: jumping on a rebounder. Oh, yeah. trampoline! Yeah. Do you often get? Uh, yeah. uh, no, not not often. But that's my wife. My wife's business, which I've invested in. Yeah. Lisa Rally. I think people know Lisa really, really well. She's a fitness and wellness celebrity uh, in South Africa, and um, yeah, she has a business. Um, which is Lisa Rally, it's bounty as a business with an eye yeah, yeah. and uh, mini trampolines and the health impact that they have. And it's, it's, a, it's a miracle exercise, you know, <laughs> developed by NASA. And you'll find me jumping on it often. Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh, th- that's exactly it. That's where I first caught sight okay. of you. So, you know, put all your entrepreneurship and your tech investments <laughs> to aside. No, it's through your wife that I came to okay, know who great. you are. Well, that's a good thing. So, you know, I don't want to ask you to get the let the cat out the bag mm-hmm. too much, but you are a speaker at the upcoming Business Investment Conference, what we call BNC three. Uh, it starts next week. You're going to be speaking about a space a lot of people are nervous about. A lot of people are nervous because they simply just don't know about cryptocurrency. Right. So, uh, give us a little taster. Firstly, who are you in a a two-minute sprint? Who are you? Why should people know who Stafford Massey is? Uh, If
1: you have a computer in this country, you should know why. Um, And cryptocurrency. So, who I am right now is I sit on two boards, um, the CSIR from a science perspective and what we do as a country, investing in research. That uh, body is the most undervalued body body in South Africa in terms of what it does and it, the impact that it has and the intellectual property housed in that institution is, is astounding. And I love being on that board. I've been on that board for about, I think, almost four years now. I was on the board of AdverTech before, for seven and a half years, and uh, jumped off that board, um, felt that I, I did my time. And then I jumped onto the uh, Discovery Bank board. So I'm on the board of Discovery Bank, uh, looking at things from the inner workings from a banking perspective. And... Uh, looking at what they're doing as a startup bank in South Africa, which is quite fascinating. But I'll be speaking in a personal capacity. I, uh, I've i been in the technology space for a long time. You know, I'm 47 now. I've been in it since the mid-90s. And I've been lucky enough to grow up with technology in terms of its big epoch changes, for lack of a better term. You know, when the internet came to be, I was lucky. I was working at Telcom um, in the middle 90s. And We got to touch the internet for the first time because it was a monopoly company and no one else could. And I saw the internet there for the first time, which is fascinating. And I'll never forget that. that's where I had my goosebump moment was when the internet didn't have a user interface, but we were capable of communicating and exchanging information on a global basis with open protocols. And that was just, you know, emailing with SMTP, uh, using HTTP, using TCPIP, these protocols that were freely built and written by engineers out there and we were utilizing them to exchange information. And we thought this is gonna change mankind. We just, the internet was loud and screamy back then, but we got goosebumps because of what we were capable of doing with it. Um, and then I moved to the United States with a multinational software company. Novell was one of the biggest software companies in the world at the time. And I worked at the corporate head office w- with Eric Schmidt. And he was a gentleman that went on to become the CEO of Google. Uh, so we worked for him in Utah. And uh, that's where I had my second major goosebump moment. And that's when I bumped into people like Nat Friedman, Miguel de Caza. And these were people that had built communities in the open source software space. And I'll never forget going to MIT's campus, visiting with them, and watching them lecture and walking away there. Just just goosebumps because I knew open source software was going to be big. I couldn't tell you why, I just felt that the amount of humanity cascading into the space was going to be tectonic. We just saw it with the internet too, the amount of people that were coming out of universities, people from the computer science domain that were cascading into the internet, and what I mean by that, they were writing and contributing to these open protocols that made the internet a reality. To be in that community and to see what that community was doing was the reason we knew it was going to be big. It wasn't like because the technology could do this. Because when we showed people the internet before the browser, it was a horrible experience. It was like a VI screen, text-based bulletin boards. You'd have to put a card into a tower, connect it, build a driver for it you know, bind the protocol on top of that, and then you'd be connected to the internet. And then we'd we'd download a file, and it would take two, three weeks for it to download. Um, And there was actually a competition, I'll never forget it, at Talcom, where we put a pigeon with a message on its leg, and we sent an email to determine who would get there first, and the pigeon won. I'll never forget (laughs) (laughs) So so I come from those days, right? Like I saw it there and then I had my goosebumps moments with open source software in the United States and it was just this incredible thing. I knew it was going to be big and I became a big proponent of it and I came back to South Africa and I led a lot of what that movement was about. To say I led it is, is strong. I was part of the leadership in that domain. And, and you know, a lot of people looked at that because they were buying proprietary software. And they were like, how can proprietary software that we can get in the box from Microsoft or Novell or Oracle ever be outstripped by this thing that kids write in their spare time? And there were principles that I observed that when that amount of humanity cascades in, even if it's mediocre work, you never underestimate it ever. Mm-hmm. And we saw it with the internet, and then we saw it with open source software. I mean, today, fast forward to today... You know, the internet, look what it's done to mankind, number one. Number two is take a look at open source software. Your phone that you're running, the watch on your arm, um, the cloud that you access in the sky. Um, everything runs on open source software. It's software written freely by human beings out there. It's an astonishing thing. So the internet's open protocols, the software that runs it now, the open software, open source software is being written freely by individuals out there and contributing freely. This is synonymous, or this is a metaphor before we are again today, and this is my th- when I had my third goosebumps moment.
0: I wanted to ask you about yeah. that because throughout mm-hmm. your career, you've been driven. I wouldn't say by emotion, but by a gut feel. Every time you get goosebumps, you said the first time you dealt to the internet yeah. and the user interface, and then the second was open source software,
1: and I suspect you are going to get to a third goosebumps yeah, moment. Yeah, the third goosebumps for me was when six seven years ago, um, someone installed a crypto wallet for me and I didn't understand how it worked. You went to learn. And I was like, what's this Bitcoin thing? Like guys, explain it to me. I know like everyone's talking about it. All my engineers are speaking about it. Like, what is this thing? And at the time, I'll never forget, I was at Thumbs Up and we built this little payment device and it went global and it was like one of the last- The Pebble, yeah. The Pebble, yeah, the payment Pebble, which which we invented. And yeah, so we were in this money space, in this exchange of value space. And take a look at the context from where I came. I had built this invention with my team we invented this little thing called a payment pebble you plugged it into a phone and it changed the phone into a card acceptance device mm. so we created secure rails over a non-secure platform to exchange keys with a back end to unlock value and exchange value over the wire with this very arcane back end right so if you take a look at how we did it the payment pebble plugged into a phone there was software on the phone there was software and firmware and hardware and keys and crypto on that device so it could read your card. So when you put your card in there, it would activate and unlock the keys and do the necessary key exchange so you could do the transaction securely. Mm. Then we'd go over the wire and then we'd connect to this PCI DSS mainframe backend bank, right, lots of stuff, very secure. Um, And all the things that get put in there to make that secure, you know, people, process and technology that enables you to have the assurance that your bank account is there and that I can send money from Alec, from myself to Alec, and Alec to myself. That fabric is incredibly thick, complex, arcane, doesn't change often. And then suddenly someone gave me a crypto wallet. I understand my background, right? So I was the guy that had founded a company, I had these incredible engineers, and we had built incredibly arcane technology, right? From firmware, hardware, manufacturing, key exchanges, key facilities, key injection facilities, I mean, crypto 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 and then suddenly here was this crypto wallet and i could send value from one person to the other without any need for any of that do you feel slightly conflicted by virtue of the
0: fact that you sit on the board of a bank which is essentially the middleman that is cut out by cryptocurrency and the blockchain
1: i think that's a strong statement I think um, to say that a middle, the bank is the middleman that will get cut, cut out, I don't think so. Um, I can't speak on behalf of Discovery, and obviously I can't disclose anything within that organization, but I think banks have a role to play. I don't think, I mean, it's as, it's as wild They're saying card is going to kill cash, right? So, But the biggest competitor that Visa and MasterCard and everyone else has isn't the next card company. It's not American Express, it's cash. Cash is still the fastest growing form of payment in the world. Cash-based transactions in South Africa... Are arguably thirty to forty to sixty times bigger than the formal economy, so the bank movement of money. So, so no, I don't think crypto displaces. I think crypto gives us things that we could before never, we never thought was imaginable is now imagined, it's now reality. And that's incredible. So so when I got my crypto wallet for the first time, that's when I had my biggest goosebumps that I ever had in my life from a technology, mm-hmm. a professional perspective, right? And suddenly, yeah, I was, and I was exchanging value with another human being, and there was no intermediary, and there was no bank required, and there was no government required, and there was nothing. And it was more secure than any of the stuff that we had built. That was a mind blow, right? Because yeah. think about the context, right? Me, as this guy that built all this bank fabric, understood bank fabric extraordinarily well. Had deep res- has, I have deep respect for bank fabric. And here was this thing exchanging value more securely. And I was like, wait, this guy. And it took me, the first time I looked at it, I was like, no. no what have I been no. doing my whole life? No, actually, I, I refused it. I thought, this is rubbish. Oh. It's like, no one. And then all my history kicked in. Because I was doing exactly what everyone was doing when I told them about the internet, what everyone was doing when I told them about open source software. When I first, for the first time, touched Booker, I was like, it's rubbish. Mm-hmm. So never. But then when you study it and you start to understand it, it is incredible because it's not a single goosebump moment. It is a continuous, significant amount of epiphany that hits you nonstop from the white paper all the way through to experiencing it when you actually moving value in this world it's extraordinary it's extraordinary it's to to a point of being scary right
0: speaking of scary is the volatility of something like bitcoin it's 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 throws tantrums almost like a toddler isn't that a scary space to be in
1: i i I think currencies in the world are a scary place to be and i think stock exchanges are a scary place to be in i think the scariest place to be right now is in the traditional markets i that's much scarier than than Bitcoin, in my opinion. Um, if you take a look at the amount of dollars in circulation today, they were literally the majority of them. I mean, let me hear the stat. The majority of US dollars in circulation today were printed in the last 24 months. That's, that is not sustainable. The fact that in the early 70s, Nixon did something where he separated this global monetary thing and created a global monetary p- policy on the basis of the currency not being backed by, by gold created something that is the biggest mass fiction, and that fiction is, is meeting its reality. And I think what's happened over the last 24 months is that the populace out there have undergone a mass acceleration of digitization, right? People that have never put their credit cards into websites to buy groceries were doing it in lockdown, because they had to, whether they were 70, 80 years old, all the way through to the youngest, right? So we had this mass digitization. And through this mass digitization, I think people have started to understand, Well, wait a minute, there's this thing out there. And literally, in the last 24 months, let's be honest, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these other things have now hit mass headlines, we're seeing big organizations moving your bottom line money into this, into this asset class. And they're betting on this asset class versus keeping their money in the traditional bonds or in a bank account. Because if you take a look at inflation, which is a scary thing right now because the fundamentals are so broken in our economies at the moment because of lockdowns, because of everything that's happened. And the stimulus, we call it, you know, stimulus. What is stimulus? It's central banks printing money and just increasing debt. And when we look at those debt numbers, it's not sustainable. And we were always worried about what was going to happen. And I think what's happened right now is... Is Bitcoin and it's the answer and it 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 it's creating a new global monetary framework for value exchange that doesn't require government it cannot be switched off mm. um, and in my opinion putting your money in it that's my opinion it's not an investment advice but bring it it's I don't see anywhere else that's safer I don't
0: If my 85-year-old mother was watching this and she has no idea what crypto is, if I had to ask you in 30 seconds to describe to
1: my mother what it is, go ahead. It is a place where you can put your money that has better value, better capability, and a better future than gold because it's got more of a utility than gold. And Your 85-year-old money... Is based upon a piece of metal that may be difficult to mine and gain access to, arguably rare, but has no divisibility. It cannot be exchanged easily. It has been detached from currency, um, therefore, just is no longer applicable. It's now been replaced by a digital mechanism that not only has all of its assets in terms of of scarcity. There will only be twenty one million of them. But it also gives you the ability to program your money and to do things with your money that wasn't previously possible. Example, 85-year-old Mrs. X, you can create a will, you can take your money, you can program your money and say it will pay out to your son in this amount of time based upon these conditions. And when you sign it with those keys, no authority in the world will ever be able to undo it, not even you. And it will pay out based upon those conditions because the math will enforce it. Not a legal contract, nothing that you've signed physically, um, and it'll be more secure than any contract, and it'll be more verifiable than any other legal piece of paper, no matter who signed it in the entire world.
0: Well, Stafford, this is supposed to be the starter, not the the, the main <laughs> course, but I Lots very much look forward to having
1: you at the at the BNC three. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I love it. I, I'm, it's going to be exciting because I know there's lots of leaders over there that are quite skeptical, big people with big businesses that are very much dependent on the traditional way of things. So I'm going to try and kind of just shake that cage a little bit on the day. Good to have you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.